0: Dick, uh, when the Mennonites first came to Paraguay, they organized themselves into colonies for both business and spiritual reasons, and you visited one of these colonies during Paraguay uh, 2009. What did you discover in the Sommerfeld colony that impressed you?
1: Uh, Yes, you're right, fellas. We did have the opportunity to visit the Sommerfeld colony. We spent two days there before we went to the convention. I guess one of the things that impressed me quite a bit was the Sunday afternoon, we went to visit a retirement home, and it was a very nice, a very nice place. And there was a fellow there, uh, he's a 90, 91-year-old man, and he was very, very sharp yet and had a clear mind. And he was, I got to talking with him, and he told me 60-plus years ago, I don't know, either in, in 45 or 48, he came from Canada, and he said, when he first set foot on that ground, it was virgin jungle, and he had an axe in one hand and a shovel in the other hand, and he started to clear the land so they could farm and build their houses. And here we were, 60 plus years later, and to look at the progress and what they have accomplished in that 60 years was truly amazing. They not only, they built several thousand miles of road and maintain them, they have Dairies, where they produce 80% of the dairy products in the country, they have their own fluid milk plants. They make their ice cream, their yogurt, and their cheese, and their butter. So it was it was pretty impressive. They came a long ways in that, in that 60 years.
0: Uh, you stayed with the host family?
1: We did stay with the host family for two nights. We had a very great time. Their name was uh, Walter and Isabel Slabock. They actually were not part of the Summerfield Colony. They were part of the Beachy Amish Colony, which was right next to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not really Amish like we, like we call them. I'd say they're more like the River Brother in our area. But uh, he was a farmer, so we had a lot in common. And, and we talked into the night, you know. Buried. In English? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He actually moved down from Pennsylvania. He's from the Lewistown area. Uh-huh. And he wanted to farm, so he went down there to farm and he married a Paraguayan. His wife was a Paraguayan, so and she was a very good cook. I mean, she made quite <laughs> a spread. And she was, she was almost as good as Audrey when it came to that part. Wow. Yeah, almost,
2: okay. but
1: uh, they they farm down there year round. I mean, they they, they right. grow, and and a good year they get three crops off the same ground. So they work the ground very hard, and um, yeah, we
3: just had a great time.
0: Good, thank you, Jonathan. Tell us why your stay with your local family in Asuncion was so memorable.
3: Okay, Uh, I got to stay with the host family for uh, the Midnight World Conference. It was a um, Hispanic family, Uh, they were Midnight brethren. Uh, They had a very good experience. I got to stay with four other people, a German couple, uh, an Argentinian, and another American. And uh, every night after the conference, we just come back and hang out and have a good time, get to talk with three languages, going back and forth. I was the only one who only spoke one language, which was kind of sad, but you know, One of
0: those embarrassing things you yes, discover. Yeah.
3: Yes. I, I got the practice my Spanish, which was also very nice. I got a little bit better. Oh, I can hopefully use that with uh with teaching uh, the Hispanic kids that I teach.
0: Hospitality? Uh, what? How did? How did this happen? Uh, hospitality what, what was experience?
3: excellent. They, um, I was never hungry. That's for sure. Um, they fed us very well. Uh, we get, they took us out to downtown. Um, uh, got to go out to eat a couple times. They showed us around and. Uh, yeah gave us good beds, and just had a really good experience, uh, developed some very good relationships with them.
0: You, sp- uh, you spoke particularly about one workshop that you attended that had to do with the need for reconciliation within the church between rich and poor. What, what stood out to you? Why was that uh, something that you bring back?
3: Um, well, that's a, that's a pretty complicated issue, and it's very touchy, and uh, within the church we have a very rich and we have a very poor, and they just raise a lot of good questions. um, One of them being, um, how would your mind change if you thought about how much you need instead of how much you give away, how much you can give away? And just realizing that it's God's money, not yours, and that giving is complicated, and we should give to um, empower and to create independence, not dependence. Okay,
0: thank you. Sue, meals happened at long tables And most of the time, this was during the conference day itself, most of the time we sat across from people we didn't know. Now, that would intimidate some of us, but this was a highlight for you. Why?
4: Well, some people say I can strike up a conversation with anybody, uh, whether I know them or not. So it was an adventure, and it was long rows of tables, and the tables were covered in that green plastic uh, cloth. cloth, and we were encouraged to limit our eating time to twenty minutes, so twenty minutes is not an eternity to talk to somebody. and that way the six thousand people could be fed in about an hour's time. So after we received our food, there were volunteer ushers pointing us to where there was open space. But you never knew who you were going to sit beside or across the table. Nor what language they spoke. Exactly. So sometimes, because I'm one of those poor people like Jonathan who can only speak one language, we would have to have somebody in Spanish or German, and it would then become a three-way conversation. So it was often exciting. Um, Some of my memorable conversations around the table included talking with a young woman from Zimbabwe, who just finished a year assignment in Bolivia. And that was really interesting to hear her comments. And then I met somebody who looked familiar. We both looked at each other. And then we realized that we worked together at MCC Akron in 68, 69, and never saw each other since. So that was cool. Um, and then, surprisingly, I met a couple from Lancaster who are planning their move to Landis Homes.
0: Huh. <laughs> One other question I'd like to ask you quickly. Uh, You're an administrator of volunteers. There was an army of volunteers helping this event happen. Observations?
4: First of all, it doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of organization uh, behind the scenes for people to recruit those people. And volunteers were just everywhere. And I think there were 400 plus young people from Paraguay and other countries as well um but they did all kinds of things like helping with registration setting up more than 8000 white plastic chairs for us um leading groups to the appropriate buses the hotel buses that went to and meeting us at our hotel in the morning to make sure we all got back on the correct bus and just all kinds of things and i guess The one thing is that since the majority of our Landis Homes volunteers are over the age of 70, it was really a blessing and encouragement to see the involvement of the youth and a real joy.
0: Thank you.
5: Have you ever been treated like a stranger unnerving feeling that looking in from the outside. Now have you yourself ever treated someone else like a stranger? Maybe even this week. When thousands of strangers come together from all over the world from many countries, languages, and races, once a stranger, always a stranger, right? Well, no, thank God. It was wonderful You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with saints and also members of the household of God. Christ Jesus came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near.
6: In Jesus, we are brothers and sisters. In Jesus, somos una familia. Upon arriving in Asuncion I was immediately adopted by a German family after Jonathan and I were separated for only 24 hours. This exuberant family of Germans became my family and continue to be. In Jesus we are brothers and sisters. Helping to interpret sign language for a deaf boy from the Chaco gave me a brand new and humbling view on language barriers in an international setting. In Jesus somos una familia. Being challenged on the ways of justice by a Congolese brother, it's one thing to acknowledge that injustices exist within the church, but the challenge is to name them and then be an agent of change. Rich, poor, man, woman, African, Asian, American, Latino. In Jesus, we are brothers and sisters. Playing Mennonite polka with persons representing four countries and three languages, with the common language being laughter. In Jesus, somos una familia. Being overwhelmingly in awe of a God who is spoken to in every language around the world, but who is really listening to the language of the heart. In Jesus, we are brothers and sisters. The instant love and bond with everyone I met shows me that the true church is defined by Christ, not by culture, race, gender, status, or even religion. In Jesus, somos una familia.
2: When I was a boy growing up, a copy of The Martyr's Mirror was part of our family library. It's a big, intimidating book, but occasionally I'd pick it up and read the stories in it. I don't remember specific stories very well anymore, but I do remember the feeling. Mennonites, the forefathers of my faith, were hunted and killed by others, by government soldiers, by church workers, among them Lutherans. In a way, those stories may seem pointless today. We Mennonites, as well as the rest of the Christian world, have moved way beyond that. We relate freely to other denominations, regardless of what happened back then. You could say, I suppose, that forgiveness happened a long time ago. But still, I believe that something deep inside of us remembers. I know that when I visit a Lutheran Church or when I'm part of a a larger denominational gathering that includes many denominations, I know that that long ago persecution still affects me. It's there, it's inside of me, and occasionally I think about it. So it was significant to me when the leader of the Mennonite World Federation got up in front of the assembly and asked the Mennonite family forgiveness for the atrocities that Lutherans committed against us more than 400 years ago. Maybe it was just symbolism, but I think it was more than that. Because I think I'm going to have to work to change something deep inside my subconscious. When I think about Mennonite history now, I'm going to have to put an overlay on it. The Lutherans have asked forgiveness. They are sorry for what they did. And the Mennonite world has openly declared that we forgive them. As a denomination, we have taken a a step towards God's vision of a completely reconciled world. And as a kind of a postscript to that story, there was something else significant about that story that I'm not sure I'm able to articulate quite yet, but it it was significant that the leader of the, of the Lutheran World Federation who was asking forgiveness and the president-elect of Mennonite World Conference who was saying, we forgive you, were both from Zimbabwe. Two men, two Africans, um, asking forgiveness and giving forgiveness for events that had occurred in Europe 400 years before. There's, there's something about that that we need to think about.
5: The uh, various uh, reports and reflections uh, will touch on many parts of the uh, World Conference Assembly, so we weren't sure we really needed to give an overview, so this will be short. I should say, first of all, that Glenn and Annabelle Roth, in addition to the persons who are up here, uh, were the persons who actually uh, went to uh, Paraguay for uh, the Assembly. And uh, just to mention again that if you'd like to see visuals, uh, there are... thousands of photos on uh, the Mennonite World Conference website and it's the best group of photos I think that's ever been put together I've been taking pictures for a good many years at these events and uh, it was well coordinated so there's it's by theme so if you'd like to see about the food uh, that Sue mentioned there's a whole section on the food, there's a section on the choirs, all kinds of albums that you can see. Mennonite World Conference has for nearly 80 years helped to facilitate conversation, communication, mutual aid, and theological sharing among the increasingly diverse Mennonite groups around the world. And this has taken many forms. Today it includes a general council and an executive committee which set decisions for the MWC staff. There are a lot of staff around the world. The majority of the staff are volunteer staff, but there are paid staff also. These bodies, the General Council and the Executive Committee, are representative of many of the groups around the world. For instance, the Executive Committee has two from Europe, two from Africa, two from Asia, two from Latin America, and two from North America, plus a Vice President and a President. And the new uh, Vice President is Janet Plenart from uh, Canada, who will serve with Denisa and Lovu from Zimbabwe, who is President. There are many ongoing discussions and projects, gift-sharing, the Global History Project, the Peace Commission, the Global Shelf of Literature, the New Deacons Commission, the Global Youth Activities, the Faith and Life Commission, Women Theologians Discussions and Conversations, the Mission Commission, which is uh, very active, the Special International Delegations to Churches in Distress and Suffering, and on and on. The project, however, for which Mennonite World Conference has become best known popularly seems to be the Global Assemblies, which have been taking place approximately every six years. This year was the 15th such Global Assembly. I personally have been fortunate to attend seven of the 15 through the years. Phyllis has attended six. 6,204 persons from dozens of countries around the world converged on Asuncion, in Paraguay for the 15th assembly which took place from July 14 to 19. The theme was come together in the way of Jesus Christ. The main scripture was Philippians 2, 1 to 11. The meeting place was the CFA, which was a large megachurch which seats 10,000 persons. Uh, it's a mega church and a college in a huge building, multi-story building, uh, built for an Assemblies of God congregation. And it was ninety percent finished, so the congregation had not yet moved in. So we had full use of the building, which was in a way fortunate. And the ten percent that wasn't finished still, it really didn't hurt us very much. Um, it, was, it was a very good facility. The platform language was Spanish. So, Spanish-speaking persons did not need to get translation equipment, but if you spoke uh, French or English, um, Portuguese, you needed to get translation equipment. And persons of other languages who couldn't speak any of those languages, uh, there were sometimes uh, small niches of people put together with a a live translator. Now, I, I won't go into a lot of it, there was a major morning session and afternoon, an evening session and workshops in the afternoon, the way these uh, assemblies are often organized, and as Sue mentioned, they, there were two two levels of parking garage under this huge church, and the first level was was all tables for eating. So that's and they had a big tent outside where they made this food. It was a well-run operation. It rained, and rained, unseasonably so, the days before the the conference. Uh, we were there a week early for the executive committee and the general council meeting, and there were a series of other meetings, and it was just raining. You couldn't even walk two or three blocks. It was just slashing rain. And the local people said, We don't normally have this. The rainy season's long past, normally. And then when the assembly started, the sun came out uh, a day or two before that, started to dry out the ground. A lot of things were outside. Uh, things started to dry out. They put some extra gravel down, and it was just beautiful weather for the whole the whole week. We heard the week after we left it got very cold, it's winter there, and it was unseasonably cold which with a lot of the buildings not heated indoors would have been a problem for a lot of us. There's an assembly gathered, that's that. Scattered is many times people coming to the assembly will visit churches in other nearby countries on the way in or on the way out, that's called scattered and many, many people took, took part of that including some of our group. There were a lot of meetings happening. The Global Youth Summit uh, happened before. It was an extremely, to me, the the brightest spot right now in Mennonite World Conference. It's just unbelievable. There was uh, a mission consultation, a media consultation, historians' consultation, women's theologians' consultation. There were just many, many meetings happening the days before the assembly. So that gives you an overview of, uh, didn't answer every question, but that gives you an overview.
7: Prions le Seigneur. Notre Dieu, nous te remercions aujourd'hui pour la communauté globale des anabaptistes, nos frères et sœurs vivant dans plus de 70 pays autour du monde, des personnes, des familles, des églises, des communautés, cherchant à être fidèles à ton appel de paix dans ce monde bouleversé par la haine et la violence. Seigneur, marche avec nous sur cette terre, pour que le monde entier crie « Quelle joie de voir arriver ceux qui apportent la paix !» ter- Nous terminons en prions de la façon dont le Seigneur nous a enseigné. Notre Père qui es aux cieux, que ton nom soit sanctifié, que ton règne vienne, que ta volonté soit faite sur la terre comme au ciel. Donne-nous aujourd'hui notre pain de ce jour, pardonne-nous nos offenses, comme nous pardonnons aussi à ceux qui nous ont offensés. Et ne nous soumets pas à la tentation, mais délivre-nous du mal. Car c'est à toi qui appartient le règne, la puissance et la gloire pour les siècles des siècles. Amen.
5: Uh, Lisa, you were a volunteer at the clinic uh, at the assembly and swine flu was on everyone's mind. When we got to the airport, there were masks on people's faces and so forth. It's wintertime there, so it was their worst season for flu. How concerned were you?
6: Um, Well, initially I was not concerned because I came from here where it's Summer and we're not worrying as much about it and even at the hospital it wasn't um, as big of a deal. Um, But on the way down I sat next to um, a doctor from Argentina and she was on the way to a conference and she had all these pictures up and she was telling me how it was affecting um, their non-risk group areas uh, like 20 to 30 year olds that were young and healthy and um, it was really um, spreading pretty quickly around there um, to their younger and that kind of Helped prepare me to when I got to Paraguay and realized that it is a big concern for people and I need to take their concern seriously whether or not I feel that way.
5: And how to work out was there, I mean, people might want to know was there an outbreak of flu at the conference? Um,
6: not really. They actually did a really good job. I mean, they kind of almost panicked everyone in a way. Um, every time we had an assembly gathered, they, um, they talked about, you know, if you start to feel cough at all, wear a mask. Like they, as we Huddled down what I called like a cattle chute to go to our meals. They had people spraying like antibacterial on your hands, and even though it smelled bad, I did it anyway. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, it definitely they.
5: And don't shake hands.
6: And don't shake hands. Like, Like you're supposed to remain one foot like, more than one or two feet away from someone, which was, like, extremely impossible. Um, but people were very good about being on top of it, coming down to the clinic. The day I was there, it was just mainly, like, little coughs or earaches or things like that. But um, we didn't actually see any swine flu at the that we know of.
5: How did you communicate throughout the assembly?
6: Um, well, my Spanish came in handy, but it was a little rough at, at the beginning. Um, but especially like with my German family and all that, I think the best forms of communication were all the nonverbals. Um, just the smiling, the laughing, the hugging. Like you just, it's just such a more um, embracing culture than what I feel here a lot, I mean, in the United States often.
5: So did you have some mate?
6: Of course. I came back with like four or five pounds of it <laughs> and a couple of the um, little, and they, I also enjoyed terre, which is the cold version of the mate tea, um, and my mom had introduced it to me before, so I knew what to expect. Okay.
5: Bruce, you mentioned that you were touched by uh, one of the sermons, one of the evenings by a Congolese pastor. What, what did you find remarkable about his presentation?
8: Uh, Lisa's already made reference to it, actually. The, the, the Wednesday evening, uh, Reverend Zuzi Mukawa, who's a Mennonite brethren, a pastor from Congo, uh, preached a sermon that I would say was uh, from a modern-day prophet. Uh, he even got the finger out at us. And uh, his, his sermon was um, punctuated by this thing of suivez-moi bien in French. And escouchez-me was also the translation, listen to me carefully. He said that multiple times as he reminded us from Micah 6 of the requirement of us as Christians and what it means to follow in the way of Christ. The theme for the day was the way of Christ. And for Reverend Zuzi, uh, he talked about the fact that following Christ was through the practice of social justice. Uh, He challenged us on what what do we in the church do uh, with the marginalized? How do we engage? And he spoke about women, uh, he spoke about children, he spoke about minority groups, which is an interesting discussion in a place like like Paraguay. Um, He spoke about international debt on nations in Africa uh, and elsewhere. And so a very powerful reminder that God is calling us to the practice of social justice so I really see Reverend Zuzi as a as a modern day social justice prophet, a Mennonite brother from Congo, and I hope we continue uh, to hear voices telling us to listen carefully.
5: What do you make of the uh, growing disparity between uh, different peoples around the world, especially between Africa and the rest of the world?
8: It it did strike me in Paraguay, uh, maybe again partly because this was a global gathering. So we saw Latin Americans there, we saw Asians there, people from all around the world. Um, And just a reminder again that that Africa is marginalized not just vis-a-vis North America, the United States and Canada, or Europe, but also vis-a-vis places like Latin America and certain parts of Asia. Of course, there's profound poverty in many parts of of Asia and and everywhere, actually. Um, But I was reminded, and some things that are really stark to me is is to think about the changing face of the Anabaptist Church in the world. Uh, There are more Anabaptists on the African continent now than anywhere else in the world. And Africa also has the highest poverty rate. We think of some of the countries with the largest um, Anabaptist churches in Africa. Ethiopia has the single largest Mennonite conference in the world, the Meserete Christos Church, larger than MCUSA. And of course, that's a country that has struggled uh, for decades with chronic food insecurity, profound poverty. You have a country like the Democratic Republic of Congo. Only the United States has more Mennonites than Congo. Again, a country that recently was near the top of the failed states index that's put out annually. You have a country like Zimbabwe, which has more brethren in Christ than any other country in the world, including the United States. And that's a country, of course, that we've seen uh, for its profound uh, issues of really chaos, economically, socially, politically. So that's our global Anabaptist family. So what do we, as, as people living in a country like the United States, what is our responsibility uh, toward that family? And how can we recognize the gifts that they bring, the gifts that we bring, and together uh, journey forward and and start to imagine a common future uh, as an Anabaptist family of faith?
5: Thank you. The new Deacons Commission will be exploring that uh, question a great deal. Phyllis, uh, do you think we're really a global church, or is that just sort of a a nice feel-good thing?
0: Well, I became convinced, yes, it's a party, this event. I mean, there's nothing... Uh, like it it is a celebration but I went to a seminar I I don't remember why I chose this one but the two main people who were participating one was a Vietnamese pastor from the church that had had many uh, leaders imprisoned uh, a number of years just in the last 18 months and the other person who was actively participating was a Cuban pastor The Vietnamese pastor was, I think, late 70s, the Cuban pastor in his early 40s. And the reason they were there together is that because of a Mennonite World Conference news release, this Cuban pastor had read about the Vietnamese pastors being imprisoned. They were imprisoned because they were not a registered, uh, legally accepted church. And he began to realize that Americans couldn't fix this. Mennonite World Conference itself couldn't even fix this, even though they had been working at it. And he realized that maybe as a Cuban, he could do something. And so he got in touch with his embassy and persuaded them to have their embassy, the Cuban embassy in uh, Vietnam, work at putting pressure on the Vietnamese government in order to have these Mennonites released. And he did it by talking about them as his brothers and he explained what it means to be a Mennonite and that we are a peace-loving people and that no harm was meant uh, by the kind of faith practice that the Vietnamese Mennonites were, were, were doing and managed as nearly as we can tell to create some significant pressure within Vietnam through the Cuban Embassy And that is cited as one of the reasons that the Mennonites in Vietnam, the the Mennonite leaders in Vietnam were eventually released. Well, I sat there just thinking, okay, this is happening around us. This isn't something we can control. And these two guys had never met before. They couldn't talk to each other without a translator. But there was something fundamental that um, had led to this uh, remarkable outcome.
5: And one of the new executive committee members uh, is from Cuba. Uh, yes. on the Mennonite World yes. Conference. Diversity is a fascinating idea, but do you really think anything more substantial than just being nice to each other is going on?
0: Well, I think, you know, when you're together for a week, you can be really nice and very polite and very fascinated with each other. And I do believe that if we were to work at church life together seriously, there are many hurdles that we're going to have to be willing to talk about. And uh, we didn't get at a lot of that. There isn't much of that that you can do in a week but um, I think there are enough things beginning to develop that are serious church life together that will bring us to some hard questions.
5: Good, thank you.
8: Acts two seventeen to 21, repeating a passage from the prophet Joel reminds us that God has in mind an inclusive community of believers where all gifts are appreciated and used for Kingdom work. And the Mennonite World Conference Assembly in its international flavor helps us to embrace that. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, sons, daughters, young and old. All will receive the Spirit, prophesy, and work for the Kingdom. In this regard I was truly overjoyed when the Africa Caucus of the General Council elected its first ever woman to Mennonite World Conference's Executive Committee in Asuncion in the days leading up to the assembly. Uh, Mama Siska is a a Mennonite Brethren woman from Kinshasa that Anne and I uh, have the pleasure of knowing. She's a woman with a powerful personality and spirit and full of energy for Kingdom work. This joy and excitement however was tempered by the realization later that among the 14 Mennonite World Conference officers and executive committee members elected in Asuncion, only three are women. This Congolese uh, sister that I just talked about and two North Americans. Uh, Merle made reference to Janet Plenart from Canada, who is the new Vice President, and then someone who has lived locally, Iris de Leon Hartstone, who now lives on the West Coast, were the other two women. That's barely 20% of the total of MWC's executive committee uh, and officers. And I found myself wondering how many women have already today, are now currently like you are, or will be later sitting in the pews of Anabaptist churches this very Sunday around the world, well over, well over 50% certainly. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. May God guide our steps as a global community of faith as we seek to provide opportunities for kingdom work and leadership in our communities of faith to all people.
9: My experiences in Paraguay can be described in one word, very. well, two words, very enriching. I was enriched by the beautiful music at Mennonite World Conference, especially the Paraguayan harp orchestra and singing in different languages. I was enriched by celebrating communion with 6,000 Mennonites from 60 different nations. And I was enriched by getting to know and making friends with people from Paraguay Mennonite colonies and then seeing them at the conference and worshiping with new friends. I was enriched by the leprosy hospital, which was established by the Mennonites of Paraguay along with MCC to express their gratitude to God and the Paraguayan people, thankful for their new home and freedom that they had found
3: there. I have no Mennonite heritage. As I've grown up, I find myself believing more and more in the Anabaptist traditions without realizing it. When looking at Mennonite churches in Lancaster, I was worried because I was not born Mennonite, and as a result, I would be shunned or something. <laughs> However, I, found, I have found nothing but welcome and friendship here at East Chestnut. The same fear arose when I found out I was going to the Mennonite World Conference. But once again, I was welcomed and met many great people, finding Anabaptists to be a friendly bunch. In fact, while there, I received uh, the best compliment of my life. Um, so, why did I have this fear? The Anabaptist traditions of peace, simplicity, and social social justice are universal and open to everyone. I just want to encourage our church to share these traditions with others, including the global church of which we are a part. There are many people out there like me who can choose to be Mennonites.
6: Let's pray. Padre, gracias por un día bonita. Para compartir con nuestra familia, sobre el Congreso Mundial Menonita, aprendimos mucho sobre otras culturas y iglesias del mundo. Muchas gracias por la oportunidad. En las palabras de mi canción favorita Abre nuestros ojos, que queremos ver como tú. Abre nuestros oídos, que queremos oir como tú. Y abre nuestros corazones, que queremos amar como tú. Este es nuestra oración. Amen.
4: I have asked, first of all, the first song we're singing is... Um, there was a typo of my fault, Elsie. It was in Worship Book 76. And I've asked Bruce to say the words in French, and then we will sing it through just one time.
7: Je louerai l'éternel de tout mon cœur. Je raconterai toutes tes merveilles. Je chanterai ton nom. Je louerai l'éternel de tout mon cœur. Je ferai de toi le sujet de ma joie. Aleluya.
4: invite you to stand if you're able and sing the next two songs and it is in sing the story first one is number thirty four Jesus be the center.
0: Audrey, you've already told us a little bit about the Special Harp Orchestra. Give us a little sense of what it was like to be in the company of so many fellow believers singing.
9: Well, it was just a thrill to be in a setting where you were singing with people from all over the globe. It just kind of sent chills up your spine. Um, It was just Truly wonderful experience.
7: Did you
0: put yourself sort of right in the middle of the, of the group? Did you, what, what was your preferred place to sit to have the greatest effect?
9: Well, I was a little hesitant at first, but towards the end, I'd like to be in the center. Uh, so I moved closer to that yeah. as the week went on. Uh,
0: you and Dick also uh, did some traveling along uh, around the assembly scattered. What one or two things most impressed you about the Mita projects in Peru?
9: Um, to tell you the truth, before I went on this trip, I didn't even know what Mita stood for, which is very sad. But um, I was just extremely impressed with their projects in Peru. Um, We visited a banana plantation and there Mita took 300 farmers who were fish farmers and barely making ends meet and convinced them that a banana plantation would be just what they needed. And so they planted this plantation, they each own like two or three acres of land and uh, once they got established, Dole came in and wanted to give them a hundred year uh, lease on their land. And Mita told them that they should form a a co-op and go to the government and get their own contract, that they could market their own free trade organic bananas. And so that's what they did. This past year, their income was approximately $700 a month, which was extremely doing well for them they're able to send their children to college get further education have better homes better food and the corporation itself made six hundred thousand last year for the community which will go back all that money would have gone to dual had they signed that lease and it went back into the community they're building dikes along the river to prevent flooding on their farms and they're doing a trickle irrigation system uh, this money also can go back into schools and for better the community, so it it just was really impressive and We also uh, visited the mongrove uh, sanctuary and there uh, Mita has come in and has a five year plan of improving uh, the far- uh, the fishermen's trade there and getting better markets for their fish and just uh, beautifying the sanctuary so that they can have tourists come in and earn money that way. So uh, I was just really, really impressed with Mita and what they are doing for the farmers and the people of the communities that they're helping. It was very impressive. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Daryl, uh, you, you, you're, you're one of the few people among us who's bilingual here. Uh, what did it? mean to you to have spanish as the podium language rather than english I, it's a first
2: it is the first time that uh, english as far as an, i know Yeah. Um, well i think for me it was well bruce has already talked a little bit about how the english-speaking world mennonite world or the english-speaking mennonites are in a minority now
10: right
2: and um, but we're used to being able to talk with everyone we're used to being able to understand everyone we're, we're, we're kind of because of what has previously been our relative size and our and our wealth, we're kind of used to being at the front, and um, not having it be that way sends a pretty strong message that um, you know we're 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 not above everyone else anymore. We you know to have all the English speakers have to check out headsets um, is a pretty significant thing
0: down to just waiting in line. Uh, I I mean that took time when you came in and when you left. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a different sense of what it means to be a Mennonite today than you did before the assembly? Does it affected your head at all?
2: That's a good question Um, because if it doesn't if you're not different afterwards then what's the point really right? Well have a good time. (laughs) Yeah there is having a good time. Um, I don't know if I feel different so much as reinforced. I mean the the, um, we come to church here every week. I come to church here, and you, I kind of get the the feeling um, after a while that that this body here is the church, and that and, and if and if you don't think about it, you think, well, this is what Mennonite. This is what it means to be Mennonite. Um, and when you're when you're in the middle of a huge group like that, where you know. English is a minority language where where there's different languages going on all around you and they illustrate different styles of worship you suddenly realize that that my church is actually a pretty small part of the whole big thing so um, yeah it gives me a different concept it gives me a different like when I when I think of us now and I th- I've thought this before but I th- like I said it was reinforced when I think of us now here it feels like we're we're part of this huge thing that's that, uh, that we're, we're a significant part but only a part.
0: Thank you. Uh, Merle, you made a passing reference to uh, a sizable youth event that went on in conjunction with the Assembly. Uh, what did you observe about it and those 18 to 28 year olds who attended?
5: In Zimbabwe uh, six years ago was the first attempt to have a, a uh, youth event um, that was before the, the, general, the uh, general Assembly. and. Um, I forget. There were 30, 30, some youth, I think, who came as delegates. Um, this time it was 600. Uh, it's just, it's growing dramatically, uh, the number of delegates and attendees. And um, we went to. We only got. We've been aware and talking to some of the people who were planning it uh, behind the scenes over the years. Uh, and. You aren't quite sure how it's going to go. The committee is one person from each continent, and they communicate by email primarily, and there's all these, you know, planning an event like this is huge. It was at a different venue, and they knew all these people were coming, and all the languages, all the usual things, food and transportation. It, it was marvelous. Uh, we only got there for African night ourselves, because we were so tied up. But it was rocking in there, and if you want to see some of the photos from that night, um, go to the website, there's, I have an album there about the GYS. Um, Phyllis commented, uh, that would be you, you commented uh, that um, Saturday night when we were there, there were probably 3,000 youth there because a lot of local youth came in. And uh, people were not standing around the edge and sort of talking and doing their own little hotshot stuff, you know. Everyone was involved in the service. I mean, everyone who was there was engaged. It was, it's amazing. So there's some talk about whether there will be many or any future assemblies because it's a very costly thing. But the young people say, yeah, there's going to be future GYSs. You guys don't want to have your assemblies? OK, but we're going to have our GYSs. So it's a, very, it's a great energy for the church, a lot of leaders there from all over the world.
0: GYS stands for?
5: Global Youth Summit.
0: And quickly, uh, we attended the General Council and Executive Committee meetings, too. Now, they sound less than exciting. Uh, they were inspiring, too.
5: Well, the General Council meeting, I've often said, is to me the greatest experience of church I have anywhere in the world in my lifetime because you have leaders, it's a representative body of about 150 persons and it's representative. And so these are leaders. And so when they sit together over a period of days in a small group or talking, the same questions emerge. How do we how do we get the young people involved? How do we how do we deal be you know be in the world and not of the world? The same questions keep emerging. Not the first day. The first day people are saying, we're really different. I don't know if you understand what we're dealing with. And it goes that way until about the third or fourth day. People are saying, "You know, we're really in the same boat, and we should we should be in touch more. We should encourage each other. You know what you did there with your young people. We should be doing." And so it's, but it is the decision making group too, and it's it's a wonderful experience. The executive committee is then uh, meets every year and carries on the work. The general council meets every three years.
4: One of the focus, or a part, one part, was uh, focused on creation care. And for me, for some of the members of the Ojibwe and Cheyenne nations from the Midwest U.S., is what helped me. They had a candle lit up front, and then they led us in a thanksgiving prayer to our Lord and Creator God. We faced in each direction, we faced north, south, east, and west and then we looked up to the sky and down to the earth and then within ourselves and in connection with each of those directions there was a prayer for different parts of creation such as for warmth for rocks when I thought of Jay Parish for water for wind air people of different races and the gift of life when we faced south part of the prayer was May we walk good paths, O God, living on this earth as sisters and brothers should, showing respect for what you have created and renewing the face of the earth. The prayer concluded as we all turned again and faced the candle, and it ended with these words. We give you our hearts, our hands, our minds, and our bodies. Creator, as we walk on this earth, May we learn together and celebrate the way of peace and harmony in our families, communities, country, and world. Hear our prayers as we give thanks to you.
1: One of the highlights for me was the Sunday morning worship service. I think the energy level even though all the services were high energy, I think the, the energy level in that service was, was just ratcheted up a notch or two. The local Mennonite churches were closed and the members were encouraged to participate in this in this conference and there was approximately 8,500 people there they estimated. and It was during this worship service that the chief of the Paraguayan Indian tribe in northern Chaco came to the stage in his native dress carrying the spear that killed Cornelius Isaac in 1958. Cornelius was stabbed from behind with a crude wooden spear. He was, he was bringing the good news to the, to the primitive people, the Paraguayan Indians. He died praying for the Indians. Helmut Isaac of Paraguay read a statement of forgiveness to the son of the man who killed his brother. And it was a very emotional and moving experience.
0: As Daryl has already mentioned, uh, a bunch of Lutheran leaders came to Paraguay. One came from as far away as Switzerland and another from Zimbabwe. And they came to Paraguay to worship with us, but they came primarily to ask us a question. Would we forgive them for the bloody violence they did against our Anabaptist ancestors? And I soon caught on that this question required more than a flat yes or no. And it was when the woman from the Lutheran World Federation office in Geneva asked, would you please help us lay our burdens down, that I realized we were being asked to release them actively. Taking care of the past wasn't something the Lutherans could just decide and then do on their own. We needed to step up and help them do this, which is, after all, the nature and act of truly forgiving. And then I realized something else. If we helped them put down these burdens they were carrying about the way they had treated our ancestors, we would have to stop cherishing this part of our history. Yes, they did do violence against our ancestors. In fact, as Catherine from Geneva said, we've been a bunch of lions with you Daniels. Our condemnations of you led to unreciprocated violence. I mean, if you had reciprocated, it would have been easier. We'd have been on the same level, but you didn't. So please help us now. The historical facts won't change because the Lutherans came asking us to forgive them. But the way we regard those acts in our past will need to change. We have to stop making this a major part of our identity which is also part of true forgiveness, refusing to be defined by wrongs that have been done to us. All of this calls for humility on both sides. This is the language of heaven, as Denisa Nlovu, new president of MWC, reflected.
5: Would you stand for prayer? Lord God, we thank you this morning that the good news of your gospel did reach our pagan ancestors and that your love has been extended even to people like us. We pray that our lives will be joyful sacrifices in your service, we pray too for your blessing and presence to our sisters and brothers in all parts of the world this day. May we encourage and strengthen each other, filled with the grace and peace of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.